0: If you would open up your copy of scripture with me, we're going to turn to Jeremiah chapter 20. Our scripture reading today is going to be from Jeremiah chapter 20. We're going to be reading verses 7 all the way through verse 18. Jeremiah 20, 7 through 18. If you would, follow along with me as I read. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You deceived me and prevailed. I am a laughingstock all the time. Everyone ridicules me. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I proclaim violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has become my constant disgrace and derision. I say, I won't mention him or speak any longer in his name. But his message becomes a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones. I become tired of holding it in, and I cannot prevail. For I have heard the gossip of many people "'Terror is on every side. Report him. Let's report him. "'Everyone I trusted watches for my fall. "'Perhaps he will be deceived so that we might prevail against him "'and take our vengeance on him. "'But the Lord is with me like a violent warrior. "'Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. "'Since they have not succeeded, they will be utterly shamed "'an everlasting humiliation that will never be forgotten.' Lord of armies, testing the righteous and seeing the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for I have presented my case to you. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he rescues the life of the needy from evil people. May the day I was born be cursed. May the day my mother bore me never be blessed. May the man be cursed who brought the news to my father, saying, A male child is born to you bringing him great joy. Let that man be like the cities the Lord demolished without compassion. Let him hear an outcry in the morning and a war cry at noontime, because he didn't kill me in the womb so that my mother might have been my grave, her womb eternally pregnant. Why did I come out of the womb to, to see only struggle and sorrow to end my life in shame?
1: This time, uh, children may be dismissed. Um, And as they're going on, I do want to mention uh, something. uh, A number of you have asked about this. Uh, Continue to pray for the Nelsons. Some of you know that their daughter, Danny, had surgery uh, a couple weeks ago. And because of some complications, they had to go back down to South Carolina where the surgery took place. And so uh, be in prayer for them. Uh, James and the kids, the rest of the kids, left today to go down and uh, be with them. And so be in prayer. I also want to mention, though, uh, if you would like to help them out, they, their, their expenses continue to pile up. If you'd like to help them out, there is a GoFundMe account set up in their name, and you can find it if you go to our church's Facebook page. And so encourage you to uh, give if, if God lays that upon your heart. Jeremiah chapter 20 is where we're at. Two weeks ago, I started a series called The Keys to Spiritual Maturity. Now, if I was to go around and ask you before I started the series, uh, what do you think would be some of the keys to spiritual maturity? I'm going to guess that majority of you would probably uh, state the topic of my uh, message for this morning, and that is prayer. We're going to be talking about praying. Uh, uh, author by the name of uh, Martin Lord Lloyd Jones once said this: "There is nothing that tells the truth about us as Christians." So much as our prayer life. Someone else said this what a man is on his knees before God, that is who he is and nothing more. Now, if I was to tell you I was going to preach a sermon on prayer about a month ago, in fact, it's almost exactly a month ago, Pastor Will preached a message on prayer. And uh, if I was to say I'm going to preach a message on prayer, you would probably expect me to go to a numerous different places and I guarantee you that none of you would have said, oh, I'm going to guess he's going to Jeremiah chapter 20. If you heard that text that Pastor Will just read, that was pretty discouraging wasn't it? Why don't I want to talk about prayer from this passage. Maybe you would think, oh, he's going to talk about prayer of one of the great prayers of Daniel or Nehemiah or Ezra or, or Paul or, or one of the Psalms which are filled with prayers. In fact, John Calvin said that the prayers of the Psalms reveal the anatomy of the soul. Or maybe he's going to talk about uh, the form of prayer, such as the Lord's Prayer. Or or maybe he's going to talk about encouraging to pray, like like passages that talk about praying all the time uh, in all things. And all these procedures would be appropriate and, and profitable. But I think that when we talk about prayer... It's one of the hardest spiritual disciplines to conquer. Many are, uh, I heard someone say this once, many are bothered by the removal of prayer from schools, but as long as there are tests in schools, there's going to be prayer. Prayer is something we turn to during hard times. Prayer is something we utter at times uh, to confess a sin. Prayer is something that we may say out of ritual routine before a meal. But prayer is hard. Sometimes when we hear sermons on prayer, we leave feeling discouraged, beaten down, because the thought is we've not arrived to the heights of men and women in Scripture like Paul. And who who prayed all the time and, and their consistency in prayer was is evident throughout scripture and it's easy to talk about prayer like that and here's the reality is I want to pray like that and so do you that's success I don't know in fact there's a sense in which prayer is one of those things that I struggle with the most and I, and, and I would say probably many of you would say the best. It's easy for me, like a preacher, to get up here and and preach a message that produces some sort of guilt about how badly you feel about your prayer life. Sometimes we need that. I think prayerlessness is one of the continual problems as a believer. If we're talking about the idea of growing as a church, and, and specifically growing as believers, then I think prayer is something that needs to be a part of our life. And I want to begin by acknowledging that there is a struggle that many of us are facing, and that is the struggle of praying consistently. And I don't believe that we face this problem because we don't know how to pray. And so today is not about how to pray. I think we face this problem because we're discouraged. Maybe we're bent out of shape by the various trials that have come into our life, some of which are are, are real, some of which are of our own doing, some of which are because of something people have done to us. But our prayer is not what it should be. C.S. Lewis once talked about the idea of prayer. And and it was during a time in his life he was going through a huge battle. C.S. Lewis' wife died because of cancer, and and so he was distraught. And he said, during that time, he said this. He said, I feel like my prayers are more like screams at God instead of conversations with God. I think at times maybe that's what it is. That's why I want to look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet for a reason. Who was Jeremiah? Jeremiah was a spokesman of God during a period of history that led to the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. That happened in 586 B.C. In the early 600s B.C., uh, uh, Judah went through probably one of the darkest, and it definitely was the longest reign of any of their kings, by the uh, it, it was a reign by the name uh, by the uh, man uh, by the name of king uh, Manasseh. Uh, king Manasseh uh, his reign was described as he filled Jerusalem from one end to the other with innocent blood. I mentioned him just a few weeks ago king Manasseh brought into the the uh, worship uh, in Jerusalem uh, magic. I'm not talking about, you know, entertaining magic. I'm talking about uh, black magic, evil magic, sorcery. He also brought into the worship the sacrifice of humans, babies. It was a dark time. But Jeremiah was born after the time of Manasseh and, and during the reign of a, a king by the name of Josiah. Josiah was a was a good king. He was a godly man, and and uh, during that time was when Josiah uh, was was um, excuse me, Jeremiah was born and began and uh, but when we come to chapter twenty, Josiah is now dead, and his son took the took the throne, and his son was a name uh, man by the name of Jehoiachim. And Jehoiachim was uh, again like his grandfather uh, Manasseh. He was a evil and wicked man, and he was very heavy handed in his approach to the people of Israel, and it was causing problems. Now. Oh. Jeremiah began to prophesy about things that were going to take place was not a good message. He talked about the Babylonians and the Babylonians were beginning to take over much of the world at that time. In fact, at this point when Jeremiah wrote, the Babylonians had already conquered Egypt and, and they had claimed parts of Judah, but they hadn't come into Jerusalem. Jeremiah wrote at a time that we would call a very dark night very dark time in their history and in this passage in jeremiah jeremiah comes and he prays to god and he prays and and he in a sense he blames everything on god he rejects god he rejects god's calling i should say on his life and even as as pastor will read he curses the day he was born This passage in Jeremiah chapter 20 is very similar to what we see Job talking about in Job chapter 3. In fact, some of the language is very identical where Job talked about some similar things and hurts and pains that he was feeling. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever had a day where you woke up in the morning and you realized what was heading for you for that day and decided, I think today the best thing would be is to get back in bed. A lot of nods. What do you do in those times? What do you do when you feel like that? And I think this passage is going to address that. And so I want to take some time to look at this this morning. And I want to give you a few things to know about that. First of all, God allows difficulties even for believers. God's people can find themselves sometimes as victims of some of the harshest trials. In fact, I believe, when we talk about the area of growth, I believe that growth rarely happens without trials. I think it is some of the hardest trials is what produces some of the greatest growth in the lives of believers. And Jeremiah was no exception to that for him at this moment in chapter 20, what is producing this angst in his life? Well, It, it, it came in the form of per- persecution by by the hand of a man named Pasher. Now look if you will in chapter 20, verse 1, it says, now Pasher, who was he? says he was the priest, the son of Immer, who was the chief officer in the house of the Lord. Now, he was what was known as the chief it says officer here. Other places he's called the chief governor of the temple. Let me explain to you what the chief governor was. Now, if you understand the idea of a temple, of the temple, the temple, the main guy in charge of the temple was the high priest. He was the one that uh, decided what happened. He was the one that led in majority of the worship, and and he was the guy. But underneath the chief uh, priest was a guy by the name of the chief governor. Now, in a sense, the chief governor was the guy that, uh, although the chief priest was in charge, he was the one that run, ran things kind of on a day-to-day basis. He was the one that kind of decided things. He was, uh, he was also a priest himself, but he was the one who uh, would have dealt with the dealings and the day-to-day dealings of the temple. He was the one that should have supported and protected Jeremiah. But he didn't. Pastor would have been the guy who would have been the the prophecy police. He would have been the guy that would have oversaw uh, the things that were said. And, and because of what Jeremiah said, he was in big trouble. Now, we're not going to go back and read it, but take some time, if you will, and go back and read Jeremiah chapter 19. In Jeremiah chapter 19, Jeremiah pre- preaches a message uh, that God lays on his heart to preach. And this is one of those messages that... Uh, let's just say it this way. He let loose. Okay, He did not hold back at all. And in this message, uh, he prophesied that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed by the hand of the Babylonians. I don't think that was probably taken very well. In a moment of divine revelation, Jeremiah used a visual representation of what was going to take place. He took a pay, uh, clay pot And he took that clay pot and he threw it to the ground and it shattered, as you would imagine. And he used that as an illustration of exactly what God was going to do to the sinful people. Again, I don't think they probably took that very well. So as a response to that, he was taken and he was arrested. And notice what happened. Look at verse of chapter 20. Then pasture. Remember, this is the guy, this is the chief officer, the chief governor. This is a priest who was supposed to be the one that would have had Jeremiah's back. And it says, and he beat Jeremiah. And he put him in stocks. Now that word stocks, you think of, you know, arms and legs and something. This is a a little bit different. We don't know exactly what it was, but the word there is a word that implies uh, it's a word that means twisted. And so the idea we get from this is that he was he was beaten and he was tortured. He experienced a tremendous amount of pain. Now, it tells us, if you look in the passage in verse 3, the next day, Pasher released Jeremiah. Now, I don't know why. The Bible doesn't tell us. I, I have a feeling it was probably one of those things where Pasher... Uh, arrested him and then turned to those. he didn't he wasn't the one that actually did the beating, but he had him beaten and he probably was like, maybe we went a bit far. So we released Jeremiah. So what happens next? Jeremiah comes and in verses three through six, he then preaches another message. Now think about this for a moment if you are in this situation. You're Jeremiah, you preach the message about, hey, you need to repent because otherwise God's going to judge us. The Babylonians are going to come in. You're like a bunch of uh, broken pieces of, uh, of, a, of a pot. He gets arrested. He gets beaten. He gets put in stocks. He gets released. And then what does he do? Look what it says here in verse 3. The next day when Pasher released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, The Lord does not call you your name Pasher, but terror on every side. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. They shall fall by the sword of of their enemies while you look on. And I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. He shall carry them captive. To Babylon, and shall strike them down with the sword. Moreover, I will give them all the wealth of the city, and all of the uh, gains, and all of its prized belongings, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah into the hand of the, their enemies, who shall plunder them and seize them and carry them into Babylon. And you, Pasher, and all who dwell in, in your house, shall go into captivity to Babylon. You shall go, and there you shall die, and there you shall be buried. You and all your friends, to whom you have prophesied falsely. He just couldn't keep his mouth closed, could he? I mean, he just like, okay, Jeremiah. Maybe this is the time just to just walk away. But no, he he had a message from God. And he preaches a condemning message for the people. But more personally, Jeremiah begins this message with a word for pasture, and he ends it with a word for pasture as well. Now, back in the Bible times, specifically this time, names meant something and they had value. And so when, when someone would preach... Uh, when someone would, would name their child, it, it would speak to people about something. Pasher was an interesting one. I looked it up, and it doesn't it really is an insignificant name. Uh, it found different meanings in different places, and I don't, so I don't think his name meant a lot. But God says to him through Jeremiah, hey, Pasher, I'm going to change your name. Now, we see that other places in Scripture, but most of the time when we see God change the name, it's a good thing. He changes it from one to another to show that he's working in the life, but here he doesn't do that. He changes it to something else. Now, the name he gives him in, 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 uh, would have been this. It was Magor Mishabib. Now, in ESV, which is what I read from, the uh, translation translates what that means. Some of, it, Depending on what text you're looking at, it might have that Magor uh, Mishabib, but basically what it means is terror on every side. That's not a good name. Hey, that's not what's something you would want to be called. It's not something, hey, your, your name is care on every side. Now, some of you are probably thinking that, that would have been a good name for my kid. <laughs> uh, but that God gave this to a guy who was a priest. This is not one of those childish name-calling games. This is a wake-up call. Jeremiah had suffered greatly because of this guy, and that's not why God is judging him. He had suffered. You know, the reality is the faithful servants of God have suffered throughout history. There are Christians even today that are, are facing persecution around the world and being tortured because they're faithful to God and to it. But yet, many of us also here uh, suffer. Not, not in, in that regard, but maybe you suffer. Maybe it's something, as I said earlier, maybe it's something that was brought on by someone else and some something that someone said or did and treated you in such a way that, that has hurt you greatly. Maybe it's suffering that's brought on because of, of physical reasons or because of something else. Maybe it's suffering because of your own sin. You're going through an internal battle. But hard times are, are not an excuse to turn from God. And Jeremiah is an example of that. If you are growing in spiritual maturity or trying to, you will face trials, but, but how are you going to respond to that? The rest of this chapter is Jeremiah's prayer to God. Now, as you can tell, it is more of a complaint than a prayer. I want to talk through it just for the next few moments. First, I want to see that God listens to us consistently. Just as I said just a little bit ago, this prayer is similar to Job chapter 3 where Job pleads with God and goes to God and that's that's here what, what Jeremiah is doing. He's going to God and, and we almost feel, I don't know about you, but I almost feel like as I'm reading through this and as I read through this passage, like this is a prayer between Jeremiah and God that I almost feel wrong listening to. You know what I mean? Like This is this guy's private moanings and groanings out to God. But I think one of the things we can learn from this is that we have the ability. Remember, everything is in Scripture for a reason. It's divinely inspired. And I believe that this prayer is in here. And we might look at it and go, oh, man, this is a bit much, God. But I think it's there for a reason, because I think it's there to tell us that God always listens. No matter how uh, hard uh, our circumstances are, no matter how, man, maybe difficult the words we say are, God always listens. I think of the song that says this, Have have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble every, anywhere? You should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord and pray. No matter how difficult things are right now in your life or scene, you can take it to God. God will hear it. You may be angry. You may be hurt. Jeremiah was both of those things. You can take it to God in his prayer. We can understand why Jeremiah feels the way he does, don't we? I mean, he just spent a night in stocks. He just—I mean, his head's probably hurting, his back's probably hurting, his body's probably aching. Uh, if you read through this prayer, we can see uh, he's being mocked. Look at—look at, look at uh, Jeremiah seven. Look at the end of verse seven. I have become a laughing stock all the day. Everyone mocks me. And if you study through Jeremiah, you see that's true. Uh, They're blaming him because of his preaching. Look at verse 8. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction, for the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all the day long. He's saying, hey, I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm preaching these things, and and it's just become something that I'm getting ridiculed for. Blaming him. Then look at verse 10. uh, "For, uh, uh, For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. Now, that's interesting. Where did we see that before? That was the name that God gave to Pasher was terror on every side. But now, what what Jeremiah is saying is, I'm being called terror on every side. They're turning it back on Jeremiah, and they're calling him that, and and they're 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 threatening his life. You go on and look at the end of verse 12. They said, and these he's talking about his close friends are waiting for him to fall. And perhaps talking about Jeremiah, he says, perhaps we he will be deceived. Then we can over overcome him. We can take our vengeance on him. His life is being threatened. He is physically and emotionally distraught. And he comes and he tells God all about it. All every little bit about it. Here's the thing is there's nothing you can't take to God. There's nothing that you can't in your heart of hearts pray to God. And so I, I challenge you, go to God and tell him how you feel. I think honesty in our relationship with God can be a very healing thing. Denial in our relationship with God can cause further pain. God wants you to come. God wants you to come and, and, and spill out your woes to Him. And We grow as we bond with the Savior, and this happens only when we communicate fully with Him. Now, I, I, I want you to understand this. There is no guarantee that God is going to take away the pain. And I think that's far too simplistic view of prayer if you think that's the case. And I think sometimes that's what we think. Well, I prayed to God, so we've got to take this away. No, we see that in Scripture, that that's not the case. We see it in Jeremiah's life. Jeremiah, over and over and over again, pleads with God, and yet yet, Jeremiah's life never got better. We think of other people. We think of Paul, who talked about this thorn of the flesh that he had. He said, I prayed to God, and yet God chose not to remove it. I even think about Jesus Christ. you remember Jesus Christ the night before He died when He prayed He said, God, if it's at all possible, take this from Me. But not My will be done. Yours be done. So to think that God is going to take it away I think is a wrong view. But what God does do is He gives grace. He gives us sustaining perseverance to endure whatever comes our way. And how does that grace come? It comes through prayer. The pouring out of our souls to Him. And this is the grounds where growth begins to occur. When we are going through a hard time, when we're going through even just normal life, we pray. I think of one of my favorite quotes, and maybe you've heard this one before. One of my favorite quotes was by Abraham Lincoln on the topic of prayer. And obviously you know if you've studied history, Abraham Lincoln had some hard times. And Abraham Lincoln said this, and I've said this quote many times. He said, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I have nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that all about me seems insufficient for that day. Jeremiah came and man, he was distraught. He was hurt. He was sad. He was beaten up. Physically, emotionally, probably in every way. And yet he knew there was something he could do and that was go to God. And here's what he, he knew about God. God listens but he also realized that God has, is, is the ever-present help in life. Why don't you look to what uh, one positive aspect about this about this prayer? Look at verse eleven, describing all this. He says, I'm all, "All this is going on. Everyone's turning against me. Even my friends want to have me killed." In verse eleven, but the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Now that's an interesting way to refer to God. The uh, the NIV I believe says that He is a mighty, terrible one. Um, the word that he used uh, there, the dread warrior, that word dread is a, is a Hebrew word, are writs, and it's a word that we see again back, if you take your Bibles, look at Jeremiah chapter 15. Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 21. Uh, I'm not going to read the context, but here this is, this is God speaking, and in this he's describing Jeremiah's opponents. He's describing the enemy, in other words. And notice what he says at the end of verse 21, and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. Now that word, word "ruthless" is the same word uh, in the Hebrew that we see here in verse 11 of chapter 20, describing God when it says "dread." In other words, what Jeremiah is saying here to God is he's describing God as a ruthless warrior. That might be perplexing to some of us um, because we we live in a world of wanting God that only consists of love. So to think of God as ruthless seems a bit much. But the truth is, there is an element of ruthlessness in God's actions. The problem, though, oftentimes is our view of God is too small. We have confined Him in our imaginations. We've made an idol out of God that's powerless, that's helpless. And this God is uncertain of our future. This God is powerless to act over our puny lives. And we wait helplessly for a response, but God can't do anything about it. And that's not the God of the Bible. And here's the thing is as Christians, we, we know how to speak the the the, the Bible talk. We'll we'll uh, talk about this sometime with our kids. We're like we don't just want the church to answer. And we all know how to give the church answer, don't we? When we're going, when someone's going through a hard time, what will we do? We'll go up to him. And we'll say, "Hey, we serve a big God." I think we believe that, but then something hard happens in our life, and, and we—I don't know—where's God in all this? And Jeremiah, here he is. He's going through a hard time, and he's saying, "Hey." God is with me, a a ruthless warrior. And Jeremiah drew comforting. In fact, he says, I, I love that, he says, The Lord is with me. And that's the point. The God who made this world, who who divided the Red Sea, who conquered the Egyptians, who will, after Jeremiah, conquer the Babylonians, who who will destroy the Assyrians, who walked on water, who changed water into wine, who rose from the dead, who one day is gonna come in power and glory, that same God is with me. You really believe that. Jeremiah did. I mean, he is distraught beyond uh, probably what most of us have been. And he's sitting there and he's thinking all these horrible thoughts and he goes, get, get God's with me. And this is a comfort to us. But it's equally a terror to evildoers. And that in part explains the next thing that Jeremiah says. Look at verse 12. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous... Who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you I have committed my cause. You kind of balk at this, Maybe you're even offended by that. Does Jeremiah really call upon God to execute judgment upon his enemies? I think sometimes we think that's unworthy of the God of the New Testament, even though it was something that the God of the Old Testament we see often, but we think it's unworthy of the God of the New Testament. I think that's immature in our thinking. Now, I am not saying that we are to pass uh, ask God to judge everyone all around us, but what we are understanding is this is that when God's will is done, that's what takes place. And when we pray uh, the, the Lord's Prayer, in that Lord's Prayer it says, Thy will be done. And in fact, what we're asking God to do is this. Bless His people and judge His enemies. And that's what God's will is. It's not beneath Christians. And the Bible tells us we're to love our enemies. But the understanding is, is that God's will is that enemies... Those that are against him, those that are unrepentant and unbelieving, will be judged. Luther talked about this in, in his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. It says this, uh, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, armed with cruel cool hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. does ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And Jeremiah understood that the battle cry was, was that God was his strength, and God would helped him in all of these things, and, and God will defeat the enemies and grant the victory of the church, and that's what Jeremiah was asking. Fourthly, the fourth thing we want to look at is God's people sometimes find themselves completely broken. What's interesting is Jeremiah's tone is, has been a little sour throughout most of this uh, prayer, but there seems to be even worse of a turn here. Look at verse 13. Sing to the Lord, sing the praise, for He has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of the evildoers. That's positive, right? And then verse 14. Cursed be the day on which I was born. He's broken. Like other individuals in the Bible, believers may find themselves in a similar situation. Almost a lost cause. Now, I believe there are there is a sinful way to deal with these emotions. But in and of themselves they are not sinful. There are times when you are going to go through hard times and, and that's what Jeremiah is going through. He's going through a hard time here and he's 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 distraught and he's uh if we can put it this way, he's singing the blues. Okay, he is the song that he is singing is is sour. And I'm guessing that many of you in here can understand the sudden mood swing that he had from verse 13 to verse 14. A struggle. You see it in other places, even in this prayer. I, I, I skipped, as I was reading before, I skipped verse 9. Look back there and we see something interesting he said, and I want to explain it for a minute. He says in verse 9, If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in, in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in. I cannot. Now, first glance, you might look at that and say, oh, he's saying this, there's this message, and i got to get it out. And and uh, But that's not the idea of what he's talking about there. What he is saying there is this. I have this message God wants me to do, but there's inside of me this burning, this, this aching, this pain. And I'm sick of it. In a sense, what he is saying is is, I I want to get out of this place, I want to get away from these people, God. These are the words of a grown man who are shouting out in frustration. Now you might be saying, Are there really days when preachers want to quit? There are. There are days when when preachers want to quit, and I, I say that to you not as a as a complaint, I say that to you as a as a reminder, a couple things. First of all, pray for your pastor. Second of all, I say that because we're, we're no different than you. And I'm sure there are days when we think that. God, it's hard. Now the point of a passage like this in Scripture might baffle us. Sometimes we have no understanding of why God would put something like this in Scripture, but I think that the value of it is this: is He wants us to understand that being distraught is not uh, unusual for those that are following Him. I mean, even look at the life of Jesus. There's many times in 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 the in the Gospels where we see phrases talking about Jesus, such as deeply dis, distressed or. Troubled or overwhelmed with sorrow. That's why Jesus can be said about Jesus that he understands our pain. But I want to end just with some, uh, some positive, because I think there is positiveness. In, in closing, I want to say God heals through our prayers. Jeremiah laid out all of this pain before God. He, he, he talked about giving up. He talked about uh, uh, wishing he was never alive. He talked about all of those things. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. A couple things I want you to notice from this. Yeah, first of all, there is never a sense anywhere where God was disappointed in what Jeremiah said. In fact, God didn't give up on Jeremiah. Look, look, at, look at, if you will just the next chapter. Look at chapter 21 in verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. God didn't give up on it. You. you know, there are times when we call to God and we plead with God God this is too much for me to bear and and we yell out these things to God and that's what Jeremiah is doing and here he is I mean look at what he's saying here at the end of this chapter he's saying I it would have been better it would have been better if I would have not have been born I wish I would have been killed in my mother's womb I wish all that to take place and the next thing we see is God saying okay Jeremiah I hear all that I'll go do my work Jeremiah, I understand all that you're saying, and I, and, I, and I feel for you, and I am here. Now go take my message. And, and, and this idea that uh, when we begin to understand that, that God is here for us, there becomes healing, in, there becomes growth. And, and Jeremiah didn't give up. I mean, this is, this is just the beginning. You continue and read on. Jeremiah continued to preach the message of God. And there was times again he dropped back in this valley. But he continued to go on for God and serve God faithfully. I want to pause for a moment and, as I conclude and, and bring it back to the church. Because this is where the church comes into discussion. Jeremiah was facing this trial and, this, this, and he was all alone. There was those around him, such as Pasher, who should should have been there to support Jeremiah, but they weren't. There was no one. There was his friends that he talked about, and he was there, but like so many prophets before him, Jeremiah was all alone. This is where our vision comes in for us as a church, and where it comes into this sermon. Jeremiah was alone, but God doesn't want that for us. And that is where we see as as Jesus Christ came to earth and as Jesus Christ died and Jesus Christ then said to His disciples, now now it's time for you to go on all the world, preach the Gospel, and, and, and establish churches. And then as we go through the New Testament, we see what was the point of the churches. The churches was... So that we could come together as a body and that we could encourage each other and grow. Look at just a couple passages of Scripture. In, in James chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. See, God does not want you to be like Jeremiah and, and be alone. God wants you to be, uh, as you come together, that we can confess our sins to another. Now, how does that happen? How do we confess our sins to one another? It has to be face to face or it has to be interacting with other people, doesn't it? There has to be this sense where we come and we say, hey, now this is not a public thing. It's not, you know, Pastor, I want to get up next week and tell the church all the things wrong with me. Okay, we don't need to do that. It's interacting with the people around you. People that are in your Sunday school classes. People that are in your growth group. And then he says, not only confess, but pray. I've I've had people tell me before, prayer is a private matter. I I believe there are times when prayer is a private matter. We see that in Scripture. We also see numerous times where prayer prayer was something that was to be done with others. And, And here we see that in James, because he's saying, confess one to another. That means you have to be with someone else. And then he says, pray, and that's the same. Though Jeremiah didn't have that option, we do. And that's the exciting thing about God establishing the church is that it's it's there to help each other through these times. And so you're going through a trial. You don't have to be like a, a Jeremiah and cry out alone. You come and you say to someone around you, Hey, I, I, I need to tell you what's going on in my life. I just don't feel like I have any anyone in this church I can talk to. build those relationships make a point in doing that. be a part of Sunday school I know it's hard it is hard to come in here on Sunday morning with uh, 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 over a hundred people and think that you can connect with someone in a way that you feel comfortable talking to them and so I encourage you to be a part of other opportunities we have Okay, our growth groups are one of our greatest ways to, to accomplish that but be a part of that. Prayer is over and over mentioned. I, I read this verse just a few weeks ago, but in Acts chapter two, it said talking about that the early church it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. It was constant. It was they were coming together to pray. And if you are to grow in your walk with God, it's going to be praying. And and, and in the church, I believe it's going to be praying together. Prayer is the foundation of the church that must be present for growth to happen. Sometimes our prayers are like Jeremiah's where they're private and they're personally calling out to God. But God intended for us to pray in His house together, to pray with His saints. Here's the thing I want to encourage you about. I want to encourage you to have regular times with others. And this requires interactive Two weeks ago, I preached about the desire to grow, and I asked you to do this. I asked you to go, and that week, ask two people, Are you growing in your walk with God? Have you done that? Do you have that type of relationship? We say, oh, I can't do that. We can't do that in our church. We're in trouble. If you can't sit down with someone and pray, there's a problem. It should not be an unusual sight to see people in this church praying together. It shouldn't be. Maybe you come in on Sunday morning and you're struggling. Go find someone and say, Hey, can we pray together for a bit? Church should be about praying together. Don't expect other people to come to you and say, "Hey, uh, I can see you're having a hard time. Can I pray with you?" Some might. You be the one. Look at this passage in Jeremiah. I see a guy who he he could have used some support. They didn't have it. We do call out to God, come together as a church and pray. Are you praying on your own, first of all, but then are you praying together? I think God will use that to bring growth to yourself and to this church. Let's pray. God, we thank you for all that you do. We thank you for your, your blessings in our lives. We thank you for Lord, even the hard times that mold us and make us more like you. Lord, we know that as we uh, study your Your word, that we understand that there are high, hard times that are going to come. And, and Lord, we, sometimes it causes Christians to give up and to fail, to sin. But Lord, I pray that you will help us to be victorious. God, I pray that you will uh, work in our lives. Lord, I pray that as a church we will grow. Uh, as we interact together, that we'll confess our sins and we'll come together and we'll pray. Lord, I pray that you'll help us. Lord, when we struggle like Jeremiah, we won't give up on you because we know you don't give up on us. We thank you again for your us Christ in Christ's name. Amen.